Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello there. Um, today on the show, we have a special guest, uh, Christy Maddie, a freelance writer and blogger at Quirky Fusion. And I would say longtime friend of the show, but just longtime friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> we've known Christy for a really long time. Uh, as, as Amy and I met Christy in the blogging world, and um, as these things go, we're still a really tight community. So it's so nice to have you on the show, Christy. Thanks. I'm glad to finally have made it on. You guys have, <laughs> have been longtime friends and and it's nice to connect with you in this environment. Well, we're so excited to have you because it's actually a funny story. Andrea sent us the article that you wrote in Tom's Guide, which is what's the right age to introduce your kid to computers. And Amy and I both said at the same time, wait, that's Christy. We should have her on the show. We know who wrote that article. Um, that's funny. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how the article came about. You know, is this this idea of when to introduce your kid to a computer? Do you find this is something that parents are asking, you know, is it about computers? Is it more about tablets now? Is it more about phones? Um, this seems to be like the question of our parenting generation. And before we even let her answer, I just want to jump in and say that the article was for Tom's Hardware, uh -huh. which is related to Tom's Guide and related to Laptop Magazine, but it's it's a totally different site, Tom's Hardware. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that I have written a version of this article probably like eight years ago now. Um, and so when my editor at Tom's asked, asked about um, what types of computers kids should use, what types of browsers they should use, it was a good chance to sort of refresh um, the take on, you know, what's current, the guidelines and all of that, and realistically what kids are doing with computers today. So that's interesting that you wrote it eight years ago because it makes me wonder what's changed. <laughs> well, the AAP guidelines have changed. Um, they used to say no screen time at all, basically for anybody. And they've recently, probably two or three years ago, updated their guidelines um, to say that, you know, really little babies shouldn't be really using screens very much. Um, but that beyond that, uh, productive screen time, educational screen time, screen time with a parent can have some value and realistically is what parents are, are doing. So, I mean, that's the American Academy of Pediatrics. Yes. It's really interesting to me, just on my own personal level, this was the first year my daughters are 16. It's the first year our pediatrician asked them about their screen time. <laughs> that was really interesting. And I heard that from a lot of my friends. Um, a lot of my friends with boys that their their doctors asked about how much time they were spending gaming on Fortnite in particular, because mm -hmm. they were seeing a Fortnite, ep Fortnite epidemic. Um, do you... Do you think that this has become just more on the radar for everyone as something that needs to actually be addressed by doctors, by people who are seeing parents on a regular basis in this health capacity? I mean, I, I don't know that it really needs to be addressed by doctors unless there is a problem. We always get that questionnaire that says, you know, is your child sleeping okay? Are they depressed? I think that's a good place to maybe ask parents if they feel like there's too much computer use going on. Um, but I, I also think doctors may need to just trust that parents are making the right decision for their family and getting guidance where they need it because pediatricians are not necessarily experts in this area either. Very true. 
Um, although I guess they're expected to be experts in so many things. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so let's kind of jump in to the article. We already sort you mentioned babies. Let's just, we're going to start at two years old. We're just going to assume that your zero to two year old doesn't exactly need screen time. Um, um, you mentioned that like the one thing that might be really worthwhile is video chatting, FaceTime, because then they can see, you know, they actually see faces, they're interacting in some way, they see grandparents and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think the the one important thing to note about this is that this is just a general guide. And some kids are precocious on a tablet, on a PC. And if parents feel comfortable with that, that's what they should go with. But this is more for the parent who's like, I don't know when my child should be able to use a mouse or do whatever and to sort of help them in that direction. So it's just a little caveat that, you know, if your two-year-old, your 18-month-old is using a, a mouse, you know, go for it. Right. <laughs> Although I think the two-year-olds now expect everything to be touchscreen, like yes. their whole life, <laughs> they expect to be touchscreen. Yeah. I've mentioned before those awesome compilation videos of babies who are trying to like pinch and zoom actual magazines and books. And they're really confused as to why they're not working. That's hilarious. I love that. My daughter was like that. And also about pausing live TV. She was always really angry that we couldn't pause the radio <laughs> or the TV. You know, Mine too. They would go down to their grandparents in Florida and be really upset that they couldn't pause SpongeBob and go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, poor children. I'm telling right you. And it's so interesting having an older kid because all of this came in, you know, as he was growing up. Right. So to, so to have all of these things all of a sudden appear in his life and, and enhance his life and make it easier and better. Now, looking at kids who just grow up this way completely and expect everything to be touchscreen or parents who expect that their kids at the age of three are going to be able to sit down and use a computer. Yeah, it's really interesting. All right. So let's on that note, let's jump into the little toddler two to three, because um, I should say this article is broken down by age. So it's really nice for a parent. It's a really good guide. Um, for, you know, whatever age your child's at, and then you can sort of jump ahead and see, see what to expect. But Christy, can you talk a little bit about that, that toddler age? Sure. Uh, so toddlers are always curious, especially if they see you using your computer, and it's a good time to just sit with them. Uh, if they're interested in using the mouse, maybe holding their hand as they do it, uh, even just setting up a word processor and letting them type the letters. Uh, is a really nice way to engage kids early on in keyboarding skills and mouse skills. And I have to say that my son, when he was 18 months old, learned the alphabet um, from some little game that was online that you typed the letters and they would pop up with different animals. So there is some use to that, but they really need a lot of guidance. And obviously it protects both your child and your computer because, you know, little kids, they get frustrated, they bang on things. And so that's the other thing is teaching them how to use your computer in a safe and healthy way. And you start it early so that they build good habits all through their life. I had this hilarious contraption when my son was about three. I wonder if they still make things like this. It was basically a giant plastic keyboard with colorful um, keys for the kid that fit over my actual keyboard. This we're talking 13 years ago that fit over the actual keyboard and it would, the kid could bang on it as hard as they wanted and it would softly touch keys underneath on the actual keyboard and then like work with this special website that, you know, was, was connected to the, 
to that plastic keyboard. And um, it seemed like a great idea at the time because I could let my son use my own computer and know that he wouldn't be able to damage it. But it totally trained him when he was a little kid that he could just bang on the keys as hard as he wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. We um we actually used to have a kid-friendly keyboard, but those are very hard to come by for some reason. One option is just to get a really cheap you know, if, you, if we're talking about your laptop or something like that, you can't easily replace. Just get a really cheap keyboard and let them use that and teach them, obviously, to be gentle. Um, but then it's easily replaced. Those keyboards are super cheap. Right. That's. I think people don't think about that, like just getting an add-on. You feel like your laptop is sort of all in one. Um, you forget that you can just add something else to it. Yeah, it's really easy enough with Bluetooth. You know, you can add as many, yeah. many different things as you want. I think that's a great idea, Christy. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and so then as your kid gets a little older in preschool and some preschools have computers and definitely they have iPads, I think quite a few. Um, so, but this is where things start to change, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, kids, they're starting very basic, um, skills in reading and literacy. They're learning their letters a little more, um, deliberately than they would be at a toddler age. And so, and they are getting access to technology at school, whether or not they're getting it at home. So it's a really good time, once again, to reemphasize the habits you've already taught, but then start to really build up their skills, helping them learn how to use a mouse and preparing them for heading into kindergarten where they are going to start to use technology more and more. And then we move up to elementary school. And I feel like this is where it starts to get real. <laughs> Yeah. So both of my kids um, had a computer class once a week and I volunteered in it for both kids um, in kindergarten. And they were using Reading Eggs, which is a reading program that's very popular in schools. And it was really fascinating to see which kids had those motor skills, the fine motor skills to use a mouse, who had been practicing, who understood how to navigate a computer. They were really able to focus on their learning, whereas kids who had no computer access at home were learning their computer skills at school rather than learning their reading skills. So I brought up years ago now um, that parents really should expose their kids to a computer before they hit kindergarten. And people freaked out, you know, <laughs> it's our only computer. What if they break right. it? What if they get a virus? I'm like, well, you're sitting with them. Um, but really is important. They're going to be using it in school. So you teach them how to ride a bike. You work with them on reading. Uh, basic computer literacy really should start at home. And I like one of the things you say about this age is they should start to learn about internet safety um, and really think about your family technology rules. So before it was about, you know, not banging on the keyboard, not putting food and drinks near the computer. But this is where it starts to be more about where you're going on the internet, sharing information, you know, staying away from viruses, malware, that kind of stuff. Um, probably where parents might want to set up parental filters um, or yes. some sort of parental controls. This is this is the age where that starts, right? Definitely. Your kids are starting to learn personal responsibility in a lot of different areas. So it's a great time to move them into that uh, in the computer world. They're learning to cross the street on their own. It's the same sort of thing. You're going to set them free. They need to have the tools uh, in place. And certainly if you're going to start putting any sort of filters in place, it's a great time to do it and to talk to your kids about what it is and why it's there. And I I'm a huge proponent of not only saying don't do this, but explaining to them why so that they have those tools as they get older. 
Um, and the other thing I found, uh, not only with my kids, but I've had friends talk about it too, is that a lot of after school programs use computers. And so kids are getting access to the internet if they're not at home, whether they're at a friend's house or somewhere mm-hmm. else. So it's important to have those conversations, even if it's not in your home. Right. I remember also one of the things you mentioned this, that I think is really smart is understanding passwords. Mm-hmm. Um, how to log in and log out, and then the importance of logging out, <laughs> especially yes. if you're on a school computer or a friend's computer. You know, we have heard many of a story of a kid back in our day, it was like losing all their Club Penguin stars or whatever, but <laughs> right, it happens where a kid goes to a friend's house, logs into their account, especially if it's an app or gaming site, and then leaves it open and the friend might might have a field day with their their friend's account. Yeah, these are all things, you know, we don't think about, but they're the types of things that we teach our kids in other areas of their lives, um, how to be safe, how to protect themselves. So it's important to carry that over to their computer use as well. And so then we get up to the um, the tougher time, which is 8 to 12, tweens. And this bridges sort of upper elementary and middle school. Um, and this is, I think, really where the screen time amps up um, because they really start to need it for school. And so it's hard to start to delineate what what is school, what is not school, but they also may need a computer of their own at this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my kids, this is my kids' age right now. And so Fortnite and Minecraft and all of that are ever present in our home. Um, uh, the funny thing I have to say is that my editor had suggested a Chromebook for this age. And I just like laughed hysterically. My son is in the other room talking about, you know, his screen refresh rate and all this. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, he, he would be so angry if I handed him a Chromebook. I don't even, I don't even upset. <laughs> um, but kids are, they're using YouTube. They're making their own YouTube videos and, and starting channels. You know, obviously my kids have a certain, uh, technological support at home that not all kids have, but many of their friends also are running their own YouTube channels. They're running servers, they're programming, and they're getting really hardcore. And it's a good time to talk about their health, um, taking breaks, uh, sitting properly, um, ergonomics, which is something we never think about, but just how they're sitting, the angle of their monitor. These kids are developing. So you want to make sure that they are learning not only good habits, but protecting their spine and their wrists for their future. Um, So those are important things. But also, yeah, they're getting more independent. They're playing a lot of games. They're surfing the web. They're watching videos. And it's important to talk a lot with them about safety and media consumption and so many different things come into play at this age. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also becomes the age where you need to keep the stuff out of the bedroom. I mean, you should always have it out of the bedroom, but this is the age where it starts to be a fight. Um, but I think, you know, we talked in the very beginning about pediatricians asking about sleeping. If you know your kid cannot resist <laughs> opening that computer or tablet, like you got to start thinking about a family setup in a living room or a kitchen where everything's charging, where everything's separate. Um, you know, it's harder if your kid has a desktop, but then you have to talk about rules or setting timing, you know, timers on your Wi-Fi router. Um, because I do think kids have a very hard time setting those limits for themselves, uh, as do adults, but this is the age where those habits start to set in. Definitely. And they're pushing all the limits they can at this age. So you don't, 
want to mess around at all. We don't have any technology in our bedrooms, and that's not practical for all families, but certainly uh, turning off their Wi-Fi access at night. They're starting to get phones at this age too, which just complicates things to a whole nother level. Um, so it's really, to me, about teaching them the what and the why putting in as many precautions as you can, but really helping them understand why you're making these choices and why they should as well. Right. And modeling it, right? Yes. I mean, that's a piece of it. That's the hard part. <laughs> I was going to ask, Christy, I'd love to ask, I mean, with kids that age, you know, it, it absolutely is important to talk about internet safety and having, as Rebecca said, the computer in a public space. But I imagine that there's a lot of pushback on that. Um, I, I honestly don't really have that much pushback from my kids. But that is, those are my kids, and I've been talking about these things their whole lives. We occasionally have problems, but my kids really understand the dangers. And I've been not graphic, but pretty explicit about the sorts of things that can happen um, if you're not careful. And so I think they understand that and they are learning to make smart choices. But not every kid is going to be that way. So yes, there will be pushback. And sometimes you just need to turn off your Wi-Fi, take away the computer, we collect everything at the end of the night in a that's, central spot. That's brilliant. Um, I think I think what you're saying really is to just have the conversation and keep talking about it and make it an open communication as to why you're doing it. Yeah, I mean you you have the conversations and then you you lock it down if you have to, but you're starting to teach your kids that, about trust and it's just going to carry into the teen years. It doesn't get any easier. Right. Well, I think what I love about this guide is you put all of that stuff at the very top like starting at two and three, talking about, you know, caring for the machine, but then growing into like what screen time, turning it off, setting limits. Like, I think if you start early, your kids, it's just how they end up working. But if you try, if you're really loosey goosey when they're young, and then you try to clamp down when they get older, it's way harder. I definitely agree with that. And I think, I, th I think sometimes people forget that a computer is a tool. It's not a toy. And it's, it's not a video game. It's a tool that kids can use for a lot of amazing things. Um, but like any tool, there are safety precautions that need to go with it. And if you were teaching kids to use a hammer or a drill or any other tool, you would teach those things at the beginning um, and, and enforce them. So it's the same sort of principle. Right. That's interesting. I guess maybe because a lot of parents, you know, we're talking about, you know, mostly Gen X or, you know, parents. So millennial parents grew up with some more technology, but I think for Gen X parents where many of us didn't get our first computers until college or, you know, high school, mid high school, maybe, and they were clunky and they certainly weren't laptops. Um, you know, we didn't have that same accessibility. We didn't have any rules put on us because there was nothing to really do. We had a lot of video game platforms, but it was different. Um, and I think we have, you know, for a lot of us, it was novel in the beginning of our children's lives. Um, you know, it was great to not to have to go whatever. It was like DVDs and you'd have your little DVD player. But if they went on the computer, there were some websites for them that were cute and fun. And you had your Club Penguins and that. It didn't seem as pervasive and as big a deal. Um, and people were more likely to have one family computer. And now, I think especially with phones and cheap tablets, people are more likely to have multiple devices in the home and it becomes harder to manage that because it does feel like it's just natural for everyone to have one and be on it. Yeah. I think we get a lot of grief, our generation on, on parenting. Um, and I don't know, I don't think people understand how difficult it is. Nobody's had to deal with any of this before. We're exactly. totally winging it and we don't have the modeling from our own childhood. So it is definitely 
challenging. And even, you know, I feel like I am fairly well informed and I just find the whole process so stressful. I'm like, I just want to get them to 18. Um, <laughs> no drama. Yeah, it's hard, right? I mean, yeah, but we're not, we're really just talking about hardware here more than anything. But when you add in the social media, when you add in what they're doing on the platform as they get older, it, that's where things get really complicated and I think harder for them to turn it off. Well, also, it's just so much a part of their lives that there are things that I, I totally didn't realize I needed to talk about yet. Like uh, my daughter has a debit card. So, you know, with her own money on it. So now I'm completely out of the process of her going online and buying things. It just happens without me even knowing. And then the package arrives at home. And I had to go on her computer the other day to check something. And I signed into her email trying to find an email from Amazon. And I found all of these really sophisticated looking phishing emails, not from Amazon, but looking like they were. And I was like, wait a minute, like, have I talked to her about that stuff? Like right. it just life comes at you fast, man. Luckily for you, she probably never looks at her email because she's a teenager. Yeah. They don't look at her oh, emails ever. <laughs> not a single one of them was open. And I was like, okay, thank goodness she hasn't opened them yet. But now I have to show her how these company or how these, you know, hackers try to get into her system and get her information. And uh it's not easy. <laughs> well, on that note, let's turn to teens. Let's segue into the the fat our favorite age of all, um, 13 to 18. And obviously, um, I mean, Chris, you do a great breakdown of things they should be doing. Um, but also like the good things they could be doing. So although my kids are tweens, I have a lot of experience working with teens on, on computers. And so I know the amazing things that they can create if they're given the support um, and a little bit of guidance. And so I love this age with computers. So many parents hate it. Um, but I, I just think the potential is there. They're starting businesses. They're just doing so many amazing things. Um, but obviously they're also really pushing boundaries and they're moving into adulthood. And so it's your last chance to kind of get in there and make sure that they're prepared for when you're not around and not hovering over them, that they have the skills in terms of safety that they need and the understanding of the long-term effects of their behavior and things like that. Um, and also they're getting ready to move into college. So you want to make sure that they, if you get them a computer, it's something that they can take along with them. Right. It's really interesting because my daughters, they have two more years of high school and one of them really needed a new computer. I mean, her computer was just completely busted and I was going to buy her a new computer. And then I'm like, why am I buying her a new computer? I'm going to buy myself a new computer and I'm going to give her mine. Uh, which was four years old. I was like, she just needs to make it the next two years and then we'll get her something better for college. And it was the best feeling to buy myself a new computer instead of her because my instinct was just to buy her a new computer. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. And my, I'm like, mine was totally fine. I took it to the Apple store. They did a whole, you know, deep dive, made sure it was all good. It was going to replace the battery for her and done. And now I have the new computer, but it was funny. I just thought, I can't believe my instinct was to buy her the new computer when my computer was just as old as hers. It's just, I took better care of it my computer was in great shape. So I also recommend to parents that they consider handing down to their kids um, until their kids do leave for college and need, your kids just don't need the best machine possible. Um, in my mind, even when they're doing video editing and things like that, I just, you know, my girls are mostly on Google docs. I mean, they do everything in Google docs and everything else they do on their phones. So, you know, one of my daughters has a $200 Chromebook 
and she prefers it because it's so light. Uh, so when she adds it to her backpack, it doesn't, you know, add another 50 pound thing and she loves it. And when she has to travel, that's what she prefers too. It's the Chromebook. I guess it just depends on what your kids are doing. It really does. I, I loved the part of Christie's article where she, she mentions refurbished computers and, and handing down your stuff because yeah. there, there really is no reason for most kids to have the most cutting edge system. And you really can like do a fresh install of the, the operating system. You can totally clean it out so that it runs better than it, it, it is when it's bogged down with your stuff. And it will seem like such a newer, faster computer to them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I like also, Christy, that you go into is which operating system, because I think, you know, sometimes I know for my kids, like they just want a Mac because everyone has a Mac and they have iPhones and you want everything to work together. But Macs are expensive. Um, you know, they're starting level when you compare them to a, especially to a Chromebook. But there's not like an entry level Mac that's in that $500 range like there is for a PC or $600 range. It's going to be a thousand and up, even when they pretend there's an under thousand model. It's really not. Um, so what do you think about about how to pick that operating system? So I think that was the initial um, inspiration behind this article for my editor to begin with. And I, I honestly think it doesn't matter as long as it's something your family can support. So this article in particular was written for people who are hardware people. And I knew that they could handle whatever was thrown their way. Um, but for most families, as you mentioned, they're going to be going with a refurbished machine often anyway. They're really, I agree, there isn't a reason to buy a child a new computer, but if you are, you know, you need to think ahead a little bit. Um, so I, I honestly just don't think it matters. Whatever your kids are comfortable with, whatever you're comfortable with and able to manage in your home is what's going to be best for them. I actually love the whole idea, especially for kids who are into it, of the whole DIY thing. Like a lot of kids really, really enjoy building their own computer. You know, once they understand the whole CPU or what the graphics card means in terms of um, speed and what they see. Uh, I think the whole idea of if you've got a tech savvy parent and a tech savvy kid learning how to put together a custom computer together, I think is great. I love that you included that. There's such a win there too. I mean, learning how your computer works, starting to really have a respect for the machine and what's going on behind the scenes, how much the components cost. So where, where do you trade off? You know, are you a gamer? Are you writing a novel? You know, what are you doing with your machine and how can you make the most out of your technology? I think there's so many great lessons in building a computer together with your kids. Well, this is amazing information. We will put a link to the article. We'll put a link to your blog. Um, so now you have pressure to write something new. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> none of us are pretending to our blogs anymore, I think. Yeah. But, we will put links to everything. And this article, we should say, has a ton of links to even more information. So it's a great resource for parents with these questions. Um, and even a good resource to share with your kids. Like, you know, if you need to say, like, here's some things we're talking about and that we're looking at, and here's why. Um, there's no reason why your older kids can't participate in that conversation. And thank you, Christy. It was great to have you on. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again because I'm sure you're going to write another great article in the so distant future. And we will be right back with our Bites of the Week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what you got? Okay. So, um, I used to be a huge proponent of Amazon Music Unlimited. I 
absolutely loved it. It was not cheap. It was like $79 for a year for individual or $149 for family that you didn't keep kicking each other off of your devices if you were, if more than one person was trying to use it, but I didn't care. It was not only did they seem to have all of the music on their stations that I like to listen to, but the great part was I could integrate my own music collection with it because I still own a lot of music. I know that's rare these days, but you know, I still had tons of stuff that I'd ripped from CDs and tons of stuff that I'd bought from iTunes. And so I just loved that I could have it all in one place. And then they stopped letting you add your own music. And it's like, okay, done with this. Like, that's why I had chosen it. So I started searching for a new uh, program to use on my PC for music, to organize it, to listen to it. Um, and I hadn't looked for something like that in years. And it seemed like every single best of list that I went to talked about this program I'd never heard of before called Music Bee. And it's like, okay, if everybody thinks this is the best, I'm going to try it out. And Music B is awesome. It is free. It's, I don't think you can use it on Mac. It's a PC thing, but um, you, it's really, really excellent at organizing your music. It's really fantastic and fast at going through your drives and finding your music. Um, I, I just, I love it. And I can't believe that it's free. I've never heard of this. So is it B like B-E or B is in the Bumblebee? Bumblebee. So it's it, and you can find it at getmusicbee.com um, with two E's for the B. And yeah, like I had never heard of it. So I was so shocked that it was appearing on all of these lists. And I still use Amazon Prime Music for um, their stations. Like you can still access the stations, but you know, what my son now misses because he, he was a heavy user of it too, is that you used to be able to download the stuff that you didn't own and listen to it offline. So now we can't do that, but at least we can That's still why listen. That's we have Spotify premium. That's what you can do with Spotify. Yeah. And how much is that? Do you know offhand? For the family plan, it's $14.99. A month. Yeah. Which actually it's great that they have family plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It it is. Five users, I think. So, a question about Music B because one of our big things is that we want something new, but my husband wants to be able to incorporate his music, but most of his music is being held hostage at this moment in iTunes. So, when it searches your computer, will it take the iTunes music or are they still in that weird, wrong, funky format? I think they're in a weird format. It just depends. I mean, as long as there are no usage problems with it, like I had some very old songs that I had bought on iTunes, like probably when iTunes first came out that I just can't play anywhere but iTunes. And I just decided to let those go and repurchase them. But other than those weird situations, I used Music B to grab all of my music from iTunes and I deleted iTunes from my computer. I no longer needed it. Yay. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. Yeah. Give it a try. It worked great for me. I, f I forget what, what format it is. Um, but you can basically set music because like, you don't want it to find all of the like sound files from programs and stuff. You can set it to just find certain file types. So if you set it to just find MP3s and whatever that other format is for the iTunes music, then it'll just grab all that stuff. Cool. All right. Andrea, what do you got? So last week, um, I worked with a company, I worked with Slack on uh, workplace productivity and tips to kind of be more productive, get more stuff done. And it occurred to me that one of the things that is saving my butt right now 
um, is the new Gmail update. And I don't know how many people know about it. I don't know how many people have enabled it. Um, but it started rolling out about, God, I want to say three weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago. Do you guys have it? I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe I do. And I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, so Gmail has, you know, Gmail forever has been exactly the same. They never make tweaks to it. Um, so this is its first huge overhaul since 2011. And it's huge. So first of all, if you don't have it yet, you can enable it uh, by going to settings and enabling new Gmail. And if you hate it, you can always revert back. But here's why I'm loving this. When you enable it, you'll see that they now have a right sidebar. So if you really use your calendar a lot, or for me, I make a lot of tasks um, or other third-party integrations, you can drag and drop an email. So if I want to take an email and say, oh my God, I have to put this on my Trello board, which I use for um, like to-do lists, I just drag it over there. I don't have to close Gmail, open Trello, find the right board, you know, four steps. Um, same thing for calendar, same thing for notes. Second thing is you can send someone an email and it actually has a time. Well, I call it a self-destructing email. So let's say you want to send someone an email, but you don't want them to be able to access it after a week. You can give it a destruct date, which I find so cool, especially for businesses. Well, I you like that for me, but I don't know if I like <laughs> it as the receiver of that email. It's, it's actually a cool thing. Like if you're working on a, you know, a project with somebody and, and you don't want them to be able to share it with anybody else, you can kind of make it for their eyes only so that they can't forward it. They can't copy it. They can't print it. Right. As a business owner with freelancers, yeah. that is amazing because, you know, they could just share or go somewhere else or, you know, I mean, that's incredible. And the other thing is, you know, I have undo sent. So if I send by accident, I have 10 seconds to take it back. But maybe like three hours later, you're like, God, I really didn't want to send her that document. You can just go into your sent email and click remove access and they no will way. no longer be able to read it. It will show but that they, they know. have the email. Yeah, it'll show that they had it, but they won't be able to open it and read it anymore. Oh, that's weird. Because then they're like, why'd you do that? Yeah, well, I, I think I think more in a, I would use that more in a business sense, but um, but I just think it's so cool to have that control now. It's no longer once you send it, it's just in the abyss and you 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 can't do anything with it. Right. And then the third thing that I love more than anything for helping me be productive is instead of clicking on an email now to decide if I want to mark it red or um, archive it or print something, your emails now you see the subject line. And right below it, you will see if there's a Google Doc or a PDF or images, you can click on those without even opening the email. Oh. Like if you're just waiting for somebody to send you a Word Doc or a Google Doc, you can click it without opening the email that says, hey, Amy, here you go. Thanks, Andrea. You just click the document. And then lastly, my favorite thing in the world, which I just, I get so distracted when I'm working, you can pause your inbox. So you just hit pause. And I don't know, when I'm writing and I see that little blue dot on my closed tab, I'm like, oh, a new email. I have to go look at it. It just stops email from coming in permanently until you unclick it. And I have to tell you guys, sometimes I go hours before I unclick that. And it's great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Look, it gives you the willpower that you just don't have on your own. Right? I don't have it. Not at all. Not at yeah. all. 
So lots, lots more cool things. A lot of security warnings, like Fiona would see a huge color-coded security warning saying this is a possible phishing scam. Um, you know, so so check it out. Go over to your settings, check it out, enable it, and uh, see if you like it. Oh, I'm going to do that oh. right now. Thank you. Um, well, I have the very untechy <laughs> bite this week, but it's literally a bite because um, we are heading into summer and we're heading into tick season and I'm obsessed with preventing tick bites. Um, it is just, I've known so many people with Lyme disease and so many people went undiagnosed and had huge health problems and ended up on IV antibiotics forever. Like it just, I, I live in fear of ticks on me and my family. So one of my daughters is heading back to Maine this summer, which is like, used to be above the tick line. Now there's no such thing. Now the ticks are everywhere because of global warming. So I'm have discovered, and it's not a secret, but you have to be on these weirdo, like fisherman websites and hunting websites to have been in the know. And now it's getting more general is these products made by Sawyer, which have permethrin in them, which is an insect repellent that goes on your clothing. So you spray your shoes, your socks, your bottoms of your pants, your shorts. You, it goes on all the clothes. It lasts for months. It lasts through like seven or eight clothing washes. Whoa. Um, yeah. And you spray every. There's two kinds. You can soak. They have like a soak where you put all your clothes in like a big giant Ziploc baggie, all the stuff you want to do. And then you let it soak and then you rinse. And then there's just a spray. Um, they also have, of course, there are companies out there where you can send all the stuff you want. Like if your kids were going to camp and you could just send it to them and they do it for you. They like inject all the clothes with all this, with this chemical. It is totally safe on the skin, non-irritating, but it not just, it doesn't just repel them. It's like, if they land on you, they fall off. <laughs> They're like injured. Wow. Cause for the first time last year, Fiona got a tick on her stomach at camp. Yeah. It was freaky. And you have like a house with woods. I mean, it's, yeah, you, they are everyone. They said, of course they say it's every year. It's like allergy season. This is the worst year, but this is supposed to be a horrendously bad year. Um, again, because it got warmer earlier, you know, you just, it's been wet, like everything bad. Um, so this I'm dousing my children's, especially their socks and their shoes. Cause a lot of times they say ticks don't jump thankfully. Um, but they crawl. So if you have kids that lay in the grass, if you have kids, you know, like whatever it is, my daughter had one on her neck years ago. Um, you know, she was just laying in the grass and she ends up with one on her neck. So I would hundred percent, you know, recommend this stuff. And then for regular old bug spray, consumer reports came out and said that the 20% picaridin spray is actually better than the D. Huh. So, of course, like out of stock on Amazon, like the two pack, but it'll come back. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> went to buy it. Everyone wants it. Um, so, but we can, I'll, we'll have links to them on site, but like treat your clothes, make like checking for ticks should just be what you do when you come back inside. Um, especially men who are hairy, like they can, they hide. You can't see them. They're teeny, 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 tiny. So. Oh my God. You actually do don't, see, you don't see them until they've actually, um, kind of latched on and start sucking your yes. blood. It's gross, but I found one on my husband last year. And by the time I realized what it was, don't gross out. I literally just saw like the little legs and the tail sticking out of his leg. And I was going, okay, that's a tick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause it blows yeah. up it with blows the blood. Up. Exactly. Yeah. 
and you have to, you can't just pull it out. You have to take a tweezer. You have to be oh like really God. careful. You have to and then they save the whole thing. Yep. And you have to save it. Like you could take it to the doctor and they can test it for yep. Lyme yep. so they can know ahead of time. But I, I'm like obsessed with the sprays. <laughs> totally obsessed. And I used to think of this as just like something for kids going to camp or something for people in the woods. And like, Friends in the suburbs are finding ticks on their kids all the time. It's insane. Well, that's where it started. It started in Lyme, Connecticut. That's oh, why yeah. it's called Lyme disease. It didn't start in the woods somewhere. Like it was the suburbs. Crazy. Yeah. So tick spray. I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> Until they have a vaccine. I'm on it. Um, that is our show for today. You can find links to everything we talked about on facebook.com slash parenting bites. And of course, on parentingbites.com. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, hashtag parenting bites. You can find us on Apple podcasts, rate review, share and on radio public. All right. Well, until next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye.